Hello, and welcome to Hannah's and Ruth's. This is episode six. I am one of your hosts, Brittany Richards, and I'm here with Casey Bergwilder, co-host. <laughs> and we are going to be discussing a novel we read in 1999 called A Widow for One Year by John Irving. We are rereading it all these 22 years later and seeing uh, <laughs> seeing what we remember and uh, how it feels from a different perspective. Yes, the aged perspective. The, <laughs> the perspective of experience. Perspective. It's such a strange text to be like the formative book for me, like looking mm-hmm. back. Why was this the book? You know how so many people respond to like, why can't I think of the name right now? Catch Me in the Rye. Right, right. You know, those are the books you're supposed to. Like the classics. Classics, (laughs) but like the classics about like young people, you know, skirting up against. Right. Well, I think, full disclosure, I've never read The Catcher in the Rye. However, I liked it. I don't know how full of sex it is, but this book is full of sex, and that is why we liked it. That's a person. <laughs> know your audience. He delivered what we were looking for. Boy, did Absolutely. he. Absolutely. Boy, did he. And that is what I had, like, I had forgotten how much sex and, and how descriptive a lot of it was um, until just rereading these past three chapters where he finally gets into the nitty-gritty of the affair between Eddie and Marion yes so what what's your take on this affair between a 39 year old married woman and a 16 year old high school boy well I guess it seemed at the time my recollection of the affair was that it was like much more titillating than what it was reading it as an adult Hmm. Like I'm, you know, 36, but imagining myself walking in on a young person masturbating, my first thought is not going to be, how do I make this a fun game for them? Like, how do I extend, like, I understand her desire to make him not embarrassed. Yes. That I fully understand. Like, you know, it's hard to be a young person. Yeah. She's trying to be sex positive. I appreciate that. You know, sexuality is a real minefield, especially in the beginning, <laughs> but really forever. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, like, I get that. But I don't know. It was creepy. Yeah. I think, like, first of all, I think in the first episode, I mentioned that I'd forgotten he was 16. For some reason, I thought he was 18. Not that two years makes a a huge difference, but you are at least of age. Um, I don't, I don't know the legalities of it all, but isn't sex with a minor illegal? (laughs) Like, would this not be considered statutory rape? Yeah, no, it for sure is. Yeah. Isn't the age of consent 16? See, I don't know. And maybe it varies state to state. I'm I'm not sure but it's it it, to me it's sort of it's it's kind of wildly inappropriate (laughs) yeah for sure but and I'm not trying to be a prude 
by the way. I think that John Irving was trying to be uh, a feminist in making it an older woman than a younger man. Like this is like a hot and okay situation. Right. But there are clearly problems with power. Like Marion, the mom, the 39 year old, always says things like, don't fall in love with me. I don't want any emotion. Right. That kind of talk and like setting the boundaries of what's acceptable and not acceptable. Obviously the kid wants like, whatever kind of acceptance he can get yes William otherwise from this older person but she's like constantly setting the boundaries of the relationship as being like this is just sexual plus I'm also going to care for you in this strange maternal way yeah yeah I'm gonna feed you I'm gonna do your laundry I'm gonna make your bed buy you clothes right and I think there's certainly um an aspect of it where she's trying to get revenge on Ted for all of his affairs. Yeah, so, for sure. Like validation. I something, you know, dangerous mm-hmm. and something that's outside of the script of what we're supposed to do. Right. I also found her the description of her not caring about Ted's affairs to be very odd. Because if at once she doesn't care that he's like fucking all these young people, these young sad mothers, as well as students in the college towns where they're going and moving around um, so that he can keep having these different affairs. So she doesn't care, but then also she wants to be with Eddie to make him angry, but not jealous. Maybe, maybe it's more of a validation angle. Maybe it's more of like, Hey, he can do it with all these younger people. Yeah. Maybe I'm, you know, like if this young man finds me attractive, it's flattering because she does um, call her, refer to herself as an old lady mm-hmm. when she's talking to Eddie. And he's like, you're not an old lady. And she's only two years older than I am now. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't feel like an old lady. <laughs> Obviously. But also the notion that she would have been totally fine and satisfied by the role of mother, doting mother to the boys, that mm-hmm. that would have filled every like part of her personality allowing for these affairs to be totally fine just felt so strange to me like again she's not given a real okay but is it possible that she's numb because maybe the affairs bothered her before like when she was younger but she had the boys to distract her Mm -hmm. but maybe her grief was just so intense that it sort of numbed her to any other pain I agree with that but I think like for their whole lives this continues right and so she's like a young person she's like in her 20s and yeah successful partner is just like making out with all these sad young mothers but she's not a sad mother she's a fulfilled mother that's very that like it seems very strange to me yeah yeah I agree with you like why isn't she a sad mother I'm sure she was a sad mother she probably was. Although I did like how she went and got her college education. She went and got a college that's degree. Him. Yes, that's right. Because Ted couldn't. He claims to be a Harvard dropout in his book jackets, but the truth is Harvard actually kicked him out. Right, because he wasn't doing work. 
Yeah. So I, I liked that part. I liked that. But it's so strange too. Like, so she's competitive. She wants to get a degree to best him. Mm-hmm. But she's not competitive. And she has no personal life outside of her marriage and mothering. Yeah, like Here. it doesn't seem very well fleshed out. Because she's not given a character. She's just like a, she's a person that allows other stories to happen. So her absence allows Ruth to like be sad and have purpose and to be writing for this imagined audience of the mother. Her like relationship with Eddie allows him to be sad and you know, whatever. And then her leaving Ted allows him to do whatever it is he's doing. Like she's only there to serve the other characters. That's right. I, and I, then she I disappears really for her. Yeah, she's but she's never really appearing. Like you never really know what she's thinking. That's true. Yeah, not very much. But I will say these chapters that we read just now are the ones I wanted to keep going. Like it was hard to stop. When we were yeah, doing the story really after, I was like, yeah, it's fine. I can stop here. It's no big deal. But then when we when we chunked it and it became like more of the kind of sexual content I was like I want to keep going I want to know what happens next and like I I didn't want to stop yeah no this is this is definitely where the story picks up and I'm the more we kind of read about Marion and maybe the lack of dimensions there I'm 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 very excited to to get to the part where Ruth's an adult yes and to get into Ruth's head because she's not that interesting right now she's four years old there's not much to her. Um, but she's, she's like questioning of the world. Like the image when Eddie has taken the picture down from the bathroom wall. And it was a picture of Marianne with her, her shoulders bare that he found like very attractive. So he wanted to jerk off to it. But her two kids were in the picture and he put like paper. No paper. Yeah. And then Ruth notices and she's like, what did you do to their faces? No, it's their feet. Their feet. She's like, where did the feet go? (laughs) Where did their feet go? Yes. Yeah. So she's, she's like not willing to, she doesn't believe what people tell her. She's like, no, that doesn't seem right. Right. She's sharp. Yeah. Yeah. She's sharp even at age four. That's true. That is true. Yeah. But most, most of it is. It's strange because like my kid has such a personality. And again, like Ruth isn't given that much personality as a four-year-old. Yeah, not yet. But again, she's hardly in it yeah, so true. far. It's really just about, well, these past three chapters were really just about Eddie yeah. masturbating to Marion's clothes and then Marion deciding to pursue this sexual relationship right. with him. I also feel that John Irving is writing about like Eddie's insatiable sexual energy in the way that like clearly an older man is looking back on a time (laughs) and thinking like, boy, those were the days. I was thinking that too. I was also thinking he's writing like every, well, not every boys, but like the quintessential hetero male fantasy of 
um, getting with an older woman at 16 and having some like hot older woman show him the ropes in bed. What's up with our culture that that's the like hot trope? That's a weird, like, why couldn't the cultural like fantasy be like two people who have similar interests who like just like maybe they're in love <laughs> maybe they're in there but like maybe they want to bone down for a time because they both are into it and they share power in equal ways like why is that not the cultural piece it's like there always has to be some kind of fucked up power dynamic for it to be like a sexual trope yes I know it is it, it, you're right you're right I guess that's part of the fantasy even like pornography case. like um oh I have no money I'm gonna have to find another way to pay you right <laughs> or like a sexy sad housewife and like a worker coming to the house and then the power dynamics is like rich poor <laughs> but also like masculinity I don't know I find heterosexuality really boring <laughs> <laughs> Like it's just really, really boring. <laughs> yeah, I mean that this is not the greatest love story ever told. That is for sure. <laughs> okay, what is the greatest love story ever told? Oh my god, I I don't know. That's a tough one. Um, right? Like I don't even know. It's like are two people feeling okay about it after a period of time? Like that's pretty good. That's a good love story. Yeah, yeah. If it doesn't fuck you up for the rest of your life, like this, this, this affair with Marion is gonna fuck Eddie up for the rest of his life. But that sucks too. Like, why isn't he allowed to pine and move on? Like, who hasn't had a terrible relationship with an elder at a young age? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. No, I agree. Out. Keep going. I, I, I completely agree. Go to therapy right yes go to therapy schools do a little homework on (laughs) yourself Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. exactly it's not enough just to be like oh I had this thing happen to me that I feel good about like it was consensual as an old person and that's why I'm now thinking like oh I just missed this person like that person just needs to go to therapy yeah he does I can't remember what Eddie ends up writing. I know he does become a writer. I know he's, oh, and speaking of writing, I found this funny. At one point when he's talking about editing Ted's work, how Ted's always moving punctuation. Sometimes it's just a comma or a semicolon or something. Mm-hmm. I, I was, I had a memory of Sarah and I going to see John Irving speak at the Calgary Public Library. <laughs> Um, and he was talking about how he was good friends with Kurt Vonnegut and Kurt told him that he overused the semicolon and he shouldn't be so generous with it. So then every time Kurt Vonnegut would publish a new book, John Irving would photocopy any page with a semicolon on it and highlight the the semicolons on each page and then mail Kurt Vonnegut the pages. (laughs) Isn't that an interesting anecdote? It is. So as I was reading that this time, I recalled that story and I wondered if somehow that was a message to Kurt. It may have been. Yeah. I remember being like so public with my obsession with 
John Irving that I had a friend who had a job where they were doing some kind of telemarketing, but not telemarketing. They were just in a call center. And I recall this. And yes. John Irving called to do some sort of like hotel arrangement. That's right. And the person was like, I have a friend who's going to be very excited that I talked <laughs> to you. And I was excited, excited enough to remember it now. Yeah, no, I remember. And I remember you telling me that story. <laughs> I, I recall that we, we were huge fans. You know, you could be walking along the street in Toronto wearing a mask and you may very well walk past John Irving. You don't even know. You might. It's true. It's true. I mean, who knows where he used to hang out in the before times. I mean, he probably walks like everyone. Do you think walks. he's friends with Margaret Atwood? She lives like 10 yeah. minutes from here. <laughs> I do. I do think he's friends with Margaret Atwood. I bet they hang out in her backyard. Maybe at a distance. Of course. Masked. <laughs> Masked, indeed. This time, man. It's like, I love that we are, obviously we would never have done this at any other time because we're too busy. We would have been socializing with humans face mm-hmm. to face, mm-hmm. busy with work. But really like, I run out of interesting television. I prefer to read during the day. What else is there to do in the evening? Well, and I think it's important to engage in like, I mean, I don't know if a passion project is the right term, but I think it's important <laughs> to to engage in things that are fun and interesting. Do you remember when my parents sent me to that drama camp to do the passion play? Of course I do. I've never forgotten that. I still remember the Christian songs that you learned and came back singing. <laughs> <laughs> because they didn't know that the passion play, nor did I know was the end times of Jesus Christ. Wasn't it three weeks? It was three weeks. And I did not have a bowel movement the whole time (laughs) because I didn't want anyone to hear me doing something so disgusting. (laughs) Well, I I can relate to that as I um, was often hospitalized as a child for an enema due to not going to the bathroom because I thought it was disgusting. So So. I recently met a person who is really fun. And this person told me that they were a hockey player up until the university level. They too sometimes had to go to the bathroom. They too were often in communal settings. What does one do? What they suggested was putting toilet paper down at the back of the toilet and letting it like go across the bowl (laughs) and it cushioned like a net like a net (laughs) and it cushions the sound huh that's a clever little no should I ever be in an airport again don't know if I will be (laughs) although like as you and I have discussed in the past an airport is like a free pass Oh yeah. Anything goes in an airport. That's probably my favorite public bathroom too. Yeah. It is. Hands yeah. Down. Other than any onesie ever. Yes. But airport bathrooms are usually so loud and so transient that like 
Who even could if remember? there is sound smells yeah nobody knows it's you <laughs> oh passion projects <laughs> yes pa passion projects indeed it it's important to engage in look i have a creation for discreet bowel movements discretion is <laughs> that is a passion of mine privacy and discretion and also snooping it's another passion you know what tyler my partner often reminds me that no one pays attention to the world with the detail that I do. So mm. like if I have an embarrassing moment in public, he's like, nobody saw you. I'm like, well, I would have seen. Or like I noticed recently yes. that my next door neighbors have changed the lighting in their kitchen. It's much brighter now. I'm like, oh, they got new lighting. He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it's because I watch them constantly. And sometimes they have their blinds up and then sometimes all of a sudden it's down and I'm like, what are you doing? Why is it down now? Maybe they noticed the neighbor peering in. <laughs> I'm not discreet. When it no. Comes because also my dishwashing situation overlooks a window which goes into their house. What else am I going to look at? Yeah. That was... I pretend to be big city when their children or someone is like walking past the window. I don't want to. I don't want to break the fourth wall, even though it's a window. I prefer to just pretend that we don't see each other. That's right. Like the that's the code. And is that that's big city? I think it's like a big city move when you pretend you can't see someone when you see them. Mm, Isn't yes. it a big city move to just like smile curtly, like politely, but continue on? But yes. the small town move, the Fredericton move, is to engage in long conversations. When it's just a simple, like, one no, like, no, I would not enjoy that. That no, sounds awful. It is. The best part about wearing a mask, honestly, for me, is not having to pretend that I know, recognize people. I'm like, oh, they're wearing a mask, even though I definitely recognize them. Right. I'm just always ignoring people. Smart. A few days ago, I was at the same corner as someone that I've been avoiding professionally. I just pretended I was standing right beside them. I just pretended I had no idea who they were. Do you think they saw you? Definitely. <laughs> God bless the mask. Also, it is a good excuse. I, I definitely leave the house in very questionable outfits, fully well knowing. I don't really know anyone here anyway. And I'm not going to, even if someone knows me, they're not going to recognize me. There you go. With my mask and my sunglasses on? No. It's like a great disguise. Also, I don't know about you, but I get hormonal acne on the chin. Mm. Doesn't matter. Indeed. I never have to wear makeup on my face. I, I don't even know if I've told you this yet, but I am getting Invisalign. Like braces? Yeah, because think about it. There's never been a better time to do it. Even if I have to go out in public in the next year, which I probably won't have to, I'll be wearing a mask. No one will see that I have these stupid braces on and I can finally get my crooked bottom teeth fixed. I really wish I'd worn my retainer, but I didn't. So now I have crooked teeth like I didn't have braces. 
<laughs> I did have braces, but only on the top and the bottom are just very crooked. So I feel, I figured, you know, no time like now when I never have to leave my house. It's true. But Invisalign is different too, because you can take them out. Yeah, but there's still going to be like a little like bracket on a few of the teeth, including the front two teeth <laughs> that holds the trays in place. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty ugly, but I'm just going to get it over with. Go for it. Again, yeah. I don't see an end of the pandemic. We're at a time where I'm like, I don't know. It seems like people who get vaccinated with both vaccines, like America, you can tell they're not changing their behavior, but things seem to be getting better in terms of the numbers. So I'm hopeful about the vaccines, but I, I mean, we were supposed to go back to face-to-face -to -face teaching in the fall. I don't think that's going to happen, especially with, right. this, with the new. Uh, yeah. I mean, I won't, it is, it's April, 2021 right now. I can't see myself going back to work in an office until 2022. And yeah. even then could be a full 12 months from now, January might be too early. I don't care. <laughs> I, you know what? Recently I was like, one thing that I've really liked about the pandemic is I'm like clutching for joy so anytime anything is like a little bit joyful I like really grab onto it for example mm -hmm. the sky was so blue the other day I was like oh that sky's so gorgeous and I like really tried to appreciate it or like when I took a bike ride in plus 16 weather and I was like god it's so amazing to like be on a bike ride and not mm -hmm. hold yeah, that's a huge, that's such an important component of happiness, Ple like soaking in the pleasures, basking in them and, and feeling that gratitude, it just like really elevates your mood. Thousand percent. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to say about the book? Again, I wanted to keep reading. Oh, we get to learn about Mrs. Vaughn. Well, Yeah. Um, what was the word feral looking? <laughs> I loved that description. Um, so, and she's in the very last phase of Ted's phases, the shame phase, I believe. Degradation is three, shame is four. Can't remember what the first two were. But Mrs. Vaughn was a memorable character in that she sounded awful. But I guess she's not given any character except for like being ashamed of her affair with Ted. Yeah, that's sad. Yeah, shouldn't she be like, I'm amazing. My partner's away working. I'm just living my best life. Yeah. Sad. But I don't think it has to be said. We could reframe, we could like rewrite the chapter from Mrs. Bond's perspective and it could be very interesting. Like maybe she's like, True. I'm bored. I'm going to totally fuck this children's author because like, why not? <laughs> and then does it and is like, this is awesome. And then she gets the drawings back from Ted, her naked drawings back and she yeah. sells them for a profit. 
or she's like this is a weird thing I did once like don't you have a bunch of stories where you're like oh I did a weird thing once I'm like yeah that's true it was shame or I could look back mm. and be like that was a weird thing very good point <laughs> yeah. very good point why do we have to shame her it's okay you can fuck up no, no you're right she didn't get caught big deal there are like yeah. really no consequences for Mrs. Vaughn <laughs> right yeah that's true her partner doesn't find out her life doesn't change did she really think she was going to run away with this like children's author with like a kid and a wife probably not mm. maybe she did maybe she didn't i'm just saying all i remember is that degradation or shame or, maybe she could have just been like i did a yeah, thing. but the description that he uses and you're right we could rewrite it from her perspective but remember gaping vagina it just it always really stuck out to my little 16 year old mind that's also like some douche is like there's a that vagina should be closed and petite but it's disgusting it's gaping like that's so dumb yeah you're right it is some douche (laughs) (laughs) you're absolutely right that's right i'm just saying like there's really nothing wrong with a gaping vagina of course there isn't i resent the suggestion that there is which it implanted in my head as a young person i was like me too don't have a gaping vagina also like who gives a fuck and like can you imagine him describing ted's penis in any kind of detail no it's perfectly (laughs) fine a perfectly fine penis of a middle-aged alcoholic right like he's not why would he critique the penis no need or like, that is true. He's like very, I don't know, pendulous balls. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like you never yeah. see those descriptions. I just think it's so boring. I'm well, disappointed in my Maybe our next project. By it. Maybe in, my ne- in our next project, we can write about pendulous balls and sagging penises. Um, yeah. Limp. And Crook- sagging, crooked, urethra, <laughs> porous, <laughs> gaping urethra. <laughs> oh, indeed. Well, this one's getting an explicit rating for all of that <laughs> blue talk at the end. <laughs> anyway, I just think it's boring. And I'm, again, disappointed in how much it affected me as a young person. Me too. Very disappointed. Because I was like, okay, this is the sexuality I'm supposed to have and don't let it be this other kind of sterile. Mm -hmm. Also, there's nothing wrong with like just, you know, like having an affair. Like that's okay. You did Mm -hmm. it. Big deal. Mm -hmm. I just feel like he moralizes in a very peculiar way. And it's always like the damning... Well, it's a waspy way. It's and wasp- it's also like, yeah. but it's always like, Marion is sad. She fucks this kid and then she leaves her own kid, which is unforgivable. Ted's just a, oh, he's kind of a clown. <laughs> he's a fuck up, but a lovable fuck up. You know, it's boring. <laughs> like those are boring stories. But what a good dad because he... He wants to keep his kids so much that in order to avoid a custody battle with Marion or in order to win a custody battle with Marion, he sets her up with a 16-year-old boy who looks like their son's 
knowing that she's going to end up having an affair with him? What? And also, like, has to have three nannies. Like, it just like it's the 50s. Tell your kid to go outside. I know. <laughs> That's what my parents used to do. Like, go outside. Can we come in? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> go play. Yeah, I do. Bored. Well, go outside. At least you had a trampoline. Yeah, later, not in the beginning, not at four when we were like stand outside <laughs> to like the wild. Trampolines are so much safer now. They put them in the ground. They're or not my like neighbors have one that I saw through the window. They have one that has like uh, netting all around. The house. Yeah, yeah. Did you I don't think my the cousins ones chose. So the choice from my grandparents was. Would you prefer to have rollerblades or a trampoline? And those idiots chose rollerblades. Can you no. imagine choosing rollerblades over a trampoline? No, that trampoline was the best. The best and the worst. Like, I'm so surprised <laughs> we didn't die. Oh, we were fun from it numerous times. The double bounces. Double bouncing, falling off, getting the foot stuck in the oh, spring. The springs. Oh, my God. Like, how did we not get hurt? Seriously, I don't know. Anyway, RIP, I don't know what happened to it. Lots of moves sometime. Or my, maybe my parents sold it. No, they probably took it to the dump. They're killing my dad. Ah, I bet he sold it. Like, yeah, he like put what a a personal ad like in the newspaper. There's no way there was like a Craigslist at that time. So did you guys bring it to Winnipeg? No. So it, it Calgary was the last place you had it. Hmm. Yeah. Who knows what became of it? Maybe that's a mystery we can explore before our next episode. <laughs> you can ask or that can be our next podcast. What happened to that? <laughs> episode one the answer <laughs> i don't know that's i answer. i like it i'm into it me too okay i feel like this is a nice place to uh end this episode and i look forward to reading the next chapters as do i <laughs> until then until then bye for bye. now <laughs>